I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are watching the Downtown Riders Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today on what looks to be a very scary and rainy day here in Pittsburgh. However, this show is anything but. Uh, and I'm very excited. And I have been talking to this person uh, since the interview because she's so fantastic. I've been introducing her around, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Uh, on the program today, Minel Bopaya. She's the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. And uh, it's a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And she is not only an expert on it um, and has written a book about it, but started a company working on these things. So she's the founder of Brevity and Wit, which is a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves and the world. She has written for the Stanford Social Innovation Review and The Hill, has been featured as a guest on numerous podcasts and shows, including, you know, this one. And she's a keynote speaker um, and has, like, has trainers and runs workshops and just does all of this stuff. 
And we had such a lovely conversation and I, I really can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, before we get to all that, you know, we got some business. So this video podcast comes out every Monday and Friday-ish. You can always find us on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also check us out at thewritersjam.com and you can listen to the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. The Jam is out every Wednesday and all of those things, we need you to do two things to help us out. First, tell your friends about us. That is how we get discovered. Word of mouth always will be the best way for new people to find us. The other thing you can do if you're listening to this using Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a written review, a star review over there. If you're not using an Apple product, if you're not listening to us, you can go to our Facebook page. Leave us a review there. You can also go to thewritersjam.com and you can leave us a testimonial through the website. All of those things help us out. While you're at the website, if you're looking for a book to read, we have book reviews. If you're looking for a book to buy, you can click on the bookshop link and support local and independent bookstores around the country. You can also sign up for our newsletter where all of this information that we put out all the time will show up right in your email box. You can also support everybody on the Solid Listen Network by clicking on that Patreon button. And for just a couple bucks a month, you get commercial free episodes, bonus content from everybody, all kinds of goodies. So that's the business. Um, what was really interesting talking with uh, Minnell, uh is that we at the ETC where I work, and I, I don't talk about Carnegie Mellon a lot just because this is not part of that job, but we are working on our book about how we do things in a big part at the Entertainment Technology Center. And a big part of what we are, are working on um, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we've had lots of researchers coming in looking at the ways in which people do things. And, and all I'm doing is editing the book. I don't teach, I don't do any of the stuff there, but that has been a big driver for what we're doing. And a lot of soul searching about how we do that and the ways you go about doing it. And, and how do you also then bake that into things like grading? Because it's one thing to say DEI is important. It's another thing to actually demonstrate and illustrate it and to make it part of what you're doing. And so this conversation is all about that. Um, and I was just, it's like, I was very lucky to, to run across Minnell. Um, very happy that it happened. And it was just such a lovely conversation. And it just also turns out, I think, to be one of the most important things that businesses um, and anybody really who's trying to do something in a group or trying to do something for a group at large needs to think about. So I think today's conversation is fascinating. I think it's important. Uh, Mental is fantastic. And I think you're going to love it. And then you should buy the book and you should read it. You should think about how you can do that stuff in your life on a daily basis. So thank you guys for stopping by the bunker today to spend a little time with Max and I hope that your day is going well. Hope that you're taking care of yourself and taking care of each other. And I hope that you will sit back for the next 30 minutes or so and enjoy my conversation with Mental Bo Pye. Yeah, that's a good question that I'm getting. Um, and I think it was, um, uh, God, how do I? So there's an opening story in the book that sort of illustrates why I wrote the book. Um, and what it really gets down to is I think, despite the fact that my parents were physicians. Um, my mom used to sort of joke that my dad is um, had very blue collar values. Yeah. And, um, and my husband is a firefighter. Um, 
with the four-year college degree. And so I was always really surrounded by people who valued intelligence, but weren't intellectual snobs. <laughs> and I think what I wanted to write in the book was something that was pragmatic and practical that would take these concepts that can sort of be abstract and yeah. very esoteric and translate them into something pragmatic that people yeah. can implement in their organizations. It's interesting because I've had, I've, I mean, I'm an old science and technology writer in the last few weeks, I've had scientists and researchers who study why people deny science. Like what are the mm, sort of yeah. underlying psychological things, yeah. right? Like if you just go after somebody and you're like, you're dumb, why do you feel yeah. this way? Like that's, everything is rooted in something and you have yeah. to be empathetic enough, even if you disagree with them to yeah. understand that fear or whatever is real, yeah. right? Like yeah. how yeah. much do you experience, like, this, it, as I saw the topic of the book, as I've read and listened to you, like it sounds a little bit like you are approaching it that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what is it that's actually getting in the way yeah. of people changing their behavior and people being able to scale diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility across organizations? I'm not that interested in like why to do it. Like if you're asking me, like I'm not the person if, you're, if your question is right. why. No, <laughs> like, no. I interviewed those people. <laughs> yeah. I'm the person if your question is how. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, it's the same thing, right? Like it's the, it's the same functional idea, which is there are, this is not an insurmountable thing, right? Like people yeah. believe that these kind like our differences will always like, ah, fuck, listen, our differences have been here from the beginning. Yeah. They're now just voices that are telling yeah. us that. So this is not a new American world human problem, right? No. So as you like as you think about the practical steps like what are some of those things like what are the what are some of the things organizations and people and groups need to think about yeah um so first so first we off so so there's sort of like three parts to the book there's yeah how to be an equitable leader, because leadership is really important when it comes to this. Yeah. Like having a leader that's engaged, having a leader that understands this, having a leader that's leading on this. Yeah. Um, just because the point of equity inclusion is to allow everybody to have a voice, it doesn't mean that it should be led from below. It actually right. should be led from above. Yeah. Um, but, that, but that leader needs to be confident enough to listen to people who don't have authority and be able to value their opinion, right? Yeah. Um, then we get into how do you scale it, meaning how do you operationalize it? Yeah. So how do you create observable behaviors for these concepts? Because really, you can't dictate what people think. You, <laughs> the only thing you can really ask people is for specific behavior. Yeah. And but, you know, psychology has showed us that when people change their behavior, it also changes their thoughts. Yeah. So that's the point of intervention. And then we look at how do you, how is the system supporting this or not supporting it? Yeah. Meaning like, how are we communicating about it? Like there's a lot of work that we do around communication. Sort of, we actually have a number of um, PhDs who work with us, Sabina Marks, Mackenzie Price, who have done research actually on the very thing of like why people deny science. Yeah. Um, Sabina's done extensive research on climate change and what the problem is there. Yeah. And what they have found in climate change is that it's not an information gap. There's not a lack of information. There's a lack of motivation. When it comes to things like racial equity, there's both. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lack of motivation, but there's also like a real dearth of information about yeah. like what actually happened, right? Um, 
and other things as well, like is the system rewarding the behavior we want to see, or is it rewarding another behavior? Because people are always going to do the thing, they're always going to prioritize the thing that lets them keep their job. Right. Or their power or their whatever. Or their power or whatever. Yeah. But I don't fault them if they do the thing that, if they prioritize the thing that lets them keep their job, right? right. Because if that's how you're being measured, right. then it makes sense, right? Yeah. So if you're like, if those observable behaviors aren't perform part of performance management, yeah. then you're not actually, they're just going to be a nice thing to do that people are going to do in their spare time. And yeah. that's not going to make it scalable. It's so I work at Carnegie Mellon's Entertainment Technology Center. Like that is my, that is my sort of actual day job outside of this. And we yeah. literally did a five-year study on creative management. Like that's what we teach at the school. And I'm editing our book about that right now. Yeah. And so some of this interview is sort of weird for me because I'm like, oh yeah, no, like I've literally been steeped in this stuff forever. And like, I don't yeah. want to act like I don't understand, but also I don't understand all of it. <laughs> One of the interesting things that came out of this research, and I don't know if you have seen mm -hmm. things like this, is that like we think conflict is bad and conflict is not, is neither yeah. good nor bad, right? Good yeah. conflict is task-oriented conflict, meaning we're discussing a to-do list. We're discussing what needs to be done. Yeah. And bad conflict is interact. Like, I don't like Ted or I don't like Steve. Like that yeah. conflict in a group is bad. And the determination of how that goes is leadership, right? Like at the yeah. end of the day, everybody will look to the top to say, as you've said, what is the yeah. value that's being put down here? Yeah. And it's really hard for people to understand because everybody, particularly white dudes, and these are yeah. people that uh, tend to be leadership positions for systemic reasons and all that stuff, but won't never think they're the villain of the story. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and they've been socialized to believe that avoiding conflict is being kind. Yes. Right. Yes. That is fundamentally what's at the root of it. Yeah. And, and I actually find that to be a very sort of white cultural norm because that's really not how I was raised, yeah. you know, like, and actually Harvard Business Review had an article about this, that people who are conflict avoidant tend to really uh, value relationships and mm -hmm. harmony and people who are sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, is, uh, is um, willing to dive into conflict mm -hmm. tend to really value justice. And really, we need the balance of those two things, right? Like, yeah. we've all had the experience of someone who's so into conflict, it's like exhausting to be around them, right? right like, right. that's also a thing. Right, but we right. need to be able to have those two things where we say we value this relationship enough that we're going to rumble with this conflict yes. to get to a point where we can trust each other more and understand each other more, even if we don't agree more. Right. And that was the yeah. other thing that came out of the research in this book that we did is that those interpersonal relationships develop through, again, conflict. through the tax conflict, right? Like as long yeah. as it is about what should we be doing and not, I don't like the way you are or think or whatever, right? And like yeah. navigating, I used to tell people all the time, like when I was a teacher, we believe that kindness is nice. And kindness, I think a lot of times isn't. Your best friends are the people that are like, uh, yeah, don't fucking wear that. You know, like they're the yeah. people that tell you stuff that if somebody said it in the world, you'd be like, I feel bad. But when your friend tells that, you are thankful for that. Yeah. And I mean, and like, and first you need to have that relationship to know that this yes. person has your back before yes. you're, you can take like the sort of, un, you know, unfiltered truth from them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, kindness is, kindness is not about being nice and polite. 
Right. It's just fundamentally not. And I think, I think sometimes it's about upholding the structure that already exists. Politenesses. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? Like, it's yeah. like, well, we don't want to make anybody feel bad. And what yeah. you mean is we don't want to make people who already feel good feel bad. Yes, because there are already <laughs> people feeling bad. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, like, that's what kindness is, is being able to recognize the people who are feeling bad. But, you know, yeah. and being able to say, you how you feel matters to me as well and then there's a value to that 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 is somehow supported in that you know as we uh, we've been working on our stuff like how do you make that part of a metric for operationalizing yeah. teams right because that's and people just throw out the term soft skill and we're like that's actually not a soft skill that assumes that just like like if you say having women on the team makes the team more x it's like well yeah because they've been socialized and they've been rewarded for doing the kinds of things that yeah. They do not because they are inherently this or that. Like there are structures that make that the case. And it's really hard for people, you know, it's really hard for white dudes who are putting this together to understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my husband, who's a white dude, and <laughs> one of my uh, consultants, who's also a white dude, um, they love to joke with me that my target audience is really straight white dudes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, and I think one of the reasons is because because of um, sort of my upbringing and the fact that I was in journalism and as a writer, oh, yeah. I'm really clear and direct. <laughs> and I think that's what like white guys need. They're, they need somebody to be like, listen, let me explain what this is. Like absolutely like unequivocally yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, whereas I actually struggle a little bit more sometimes um, with, uh, with white women who in that kind in that polite culture there's a lot of subtext yeah where i'm like what what are we really talking about here i don't think it's what we think we're talking about right yeah. and i find that with men frequently with straight men there's not a lot of subtext um <laughs> which yeah. which i love and i find entertaining and enjoyable yeah. i think some other people like get put off you know and that's where i think diversity can be leverage right yeah. Yeah. Like knowing who you work well with and what your strengths are and when you're the right person for a situation. There have been plenty of clients that my company, Brevity and Wit, has taken on where I'm like, oh, I'm not the right person for this. Sure. And I will assign another consultant and I don't feel bad about myself that I'm not the right person. I don't feel like it's a flaw. I know what my strengths are and I know what my, and I know what my chemistry is with certain people and I know what other people's strengths are yeah. and what their chemistry is with certain people. And those things, those differences should be embraced and leveraged to make something like bigger than I could do alone or that. 100%. Could alone, right. Yeah. And so that I think is the joy of diversity as well. Oh, a hundred percent. And like, you know, I've said on this show a million times, like, I mean, I think what you said about white dudes is, I mean, I don't think I know, we both know is absolutely true because we have no rails, right? And like in this society, we are not forced. I interviewed a woman named Hafiza Jeter, who's a great poet and writer and editor. And she was like, white people don't have to be brave in this country. She's like, she's a, she's like, I walk out of the door. Uh, she's a queer black poet. She's like, I walk yeah. out of the door. America's trying to kill me, right? Like yeah. you walk out of the door and, and it's yeah. not. Or if it is, it's not a thought you have to think about. And so there is a, a bravery that so there's just not like, why would subtext be a thing I have to worry about if I can walk down the street without a yeah. fear of anything? Right. Yeah. Which is a terrible way to live, actually. Like it is a very shallow and, and sort of not emotionally rich life. Right. Like you want to have. Yeah. That kind of thought. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I mean, you don't you For want emotion, to like emotional thought, not like. Yeah, you want to well have depth, <laughs> but at the same time, like, 
what if like we want to be able to give other people that privilege to walk out the door without 100 percent right yes so like uh, how can we do that how can we create a rich environment that's also safe enough for people to not fear yeah. for their lives walking out the door yeah and yeah and i think that's why i think the as we talk about this stuff like part of the reason I love working where I work and wanted to have this discussion was because I do also feel like at the end of the day, not that it's any system you go to anywhere in the world, there's stratas and structures and people, you know, like there's going to be prejudices and that kind of stuff. We just know here it's white nationalism. Like it's pretty clear in America, yeah. the formation of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, it, but I think it's really important for, for white dudes and, and wh actually white women too, because I feel like white men have been facing this more directly for the last 15 years yeah. because we sit on top of the pyramid and it's like, yeah. well, that's the target. But yeah. in white nationalism, white women have benefited in their own specific yeah. way. And, yeah. and, you know, feminism is going through the reckoning over the last, you know, really in the fourth wave of like the racial, racial structures in there as well. And so I oftentimes feel badly for white women because they are allies in lots of cases and then not given structures to be wrong and recover in the way that white men are allowed to be wrong and recover. Yeah, so I often say that you're not really ready to do diversity, equity and in inclusion work and accessibility work until you can talk about your privilege and your marginalization in the same breath. <laughs> You know, like yeah. really in yeah. the same breath, like you yeah. need to be able to understand yourself because America is not the only country that is designed for inequity. You know, my parents <laughs> are immigrants from India. Right. India has a 5,000 year old caste system. Yeah. It was there before the British got there and we are still, it, it is so entrenched yeah. that talking to some Indian relatives, they don't even realize that it's wrong. Right. Like yeah. that, that's how, how baked yeah. in it is. And so and at the same time, like there are things to learn from each culture. Like one of the things my father said that he really admired about American culture. And I think this is both white American culture and possibly also black American culture being the, the cultures that have been here longer before the wave of immigrants that came. He said, you know, America is the only country I know where people will know that a child has Down syndrome or some sort of um, uh, a disability or, um, or issue and still have the kid yeah you know and so there are ways in which white people have been brave as well sure but we don't um we don't focus on that for some reason we don't focus on the most humane things we do we like you know yeah. like like we don't we don't try to scale right. the humanity that we're capable of yeah. for some reason, right? And so like every culture is capable of tremendous humanity and then tremendous exploitation and oppression. Yeah. And the question is really, which one are we gonna feed? Right, well, this gets back to the leadership thing because I just, you know, I, I realized that it has to sort of go through the whole organization, but I worked for a, uh, a guy, Jason Pont, when I was at Technology Review and he, whenever we did a job interview, he's like, I will not, tolerate anybody talking about this person fits or does not fit into the yeah. culture we have yeah. here. He's like, I set the culture and the culture is I want the most diverse workplace that I can get. And I want people that feel empowered to do that. So if you say that you're not going to be part of the search because that is yeah. the way that we, and I like, that was the first time that I'd heard it expressed that way. And I thought, ah, oh, fuck, like, I like to think of myself as fairly progressive and liberal, but like that's when you're like punched in the face with a blind spot and you're like, oh shit, 
Yeah. And leadership makes that happen. It doesn't happen, I think, any other way. Like, has that been yeah. your experience? You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I, I mean, organizations are um, set up to be little fiefdoms, right? Like, like you, don't, you don't vote out your CEO, <laughs> which is not to say you can't have a more democratic and inclusive organization right. and you shouldn't be listening to people. But the power structures are set up in a way that often the only people who can redesign the system of the organization are the people at top. Yeah. So if those people at top are not leading on this, then it, it's a real problem right? Because eventually you're going to come across human desire versus what the system is rewarding. Yeah. And so, yeah, leadership absolutely has to lead. And yeah, the culture issue is, I mean, culture is code for like, yeah. you haven't assimilated Yeah. into what, you know, and that is not, you know, and let me say that I know people who do a lot of culture work when it comes yeah. to, you know, and, and the people who actually do culture work wisely understand that culture needs to allow for differences. Yeah. Um, but the question is like, what are the differences that lead to innovation? Yeah. Um, and what are the, um, and then how do we, how do we have those differences and then unify people for a common purpose? Yeah. That's the really important part. Like if you have purpose and meaning, then differences become secondary. Yeah. Right. But if this you, gets, yeah. If you have no purpose and no meaning, then differences become very threatening Yeah, because it's really like two, like people don't have direction. Yeah. Right. And so that's what a leader needs to set is that purpose and meaning and vision and direction. Yeah. And then it's easier to accommodate differences. So when you go into, when a company approaches you, mm -hmm. like you got this book, you operationalizing this, what you are, you are trying to operationalize what people refer to as soft skills, right? Like some yeah. kind of magic that can't be changed when it obviously can be. So when a company comes to talk to you, to work with you, to hire you, what, what are the things that you see most often? Cause I'm assuming there's some like four or five things you're like, well, we know this is going to be a thing. Yeah. So what, <laughs> right now, what we're seeing most often is 
I think people think diversity, equity, and inclusion is about being nice. Yeah. And so they are hesitant to actually hire somebody to help them with it because they're like, they think that they should just be able to figure it out on their own. Yeah. Which is really, really irresponsible because these are people's lives and livelihoods. And this has been a field of study and practice for like, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. <laughs> yeah. And there are best practices. And now because the demand is so much, there are people who are trying to do this work who haven't learned about the history of like best practices. So for example, um, one of my teachers taught me about um, a company that really wanted to get more black people into leadership. So then they assigned executive coaches to black managers. But unfortunately, the blowback was that people in the organization started to think, oh, it's the black professionals who have problems. I'm fine. And it reinforced <laughs> that sort of like whatever the white people are doing is the norm and the standard instead yeah. of also giving executive coaches to white managers, right? right? And so that's a known lesson, but I could see how somebody would come up with that idea, not knowing and not thinking five steps out as to how this would be perceived, right. which is also part of this work. And so I think that's the thing that's, that's happening a lot, a lot, or like people are all of a sudden, like trying to brainstorm solutions. And I was like, <laughs> no, like you need to get somebody who actually knows some of the history around some of these ideas yeah. and can help you think about how to do this in a much, um, more sustainable manner. Yeah. I've been in a lot of, and I sort of reject this for my own, my own past, my own experiences. I'm like, this is not helpful. People be like, well, let's start a book club. And I'm like, that's not, I mean, it's good. It's good to read that. It's good. Stuff, yeah. But like, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to help us build a more, a less racist organization. Like this is again, like you said, like this is actual work that needs to be done. And most of us don't see our blind spots and Again, I'm going to go back to Fiza. She, I mean, she's not the first one to say that to me, but she said it most eloquently, which is it is oftentimes the hardest to confront my liberal white friends because they are so, Yeah. they're like, no, like I am not that person. You know that. And she's like, maybe, but like the thing you just did is absolutely that. And so I oftentimes think people that are trying to brainstorm those solutions have blind spots that they don't even know that exist and aren't maybe willing to understand that there's blind spots. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, it's well known in the DEI space that um, <laughs> right leaning organizations are actually easier to work with than left leaning ones because of this defensiveness around yeah. like um, left leaning organizations that they feel like I, their identity is tied up in the fact that they have been trying to do good. Yeah. And so the idea that they couldn't be doing good is, is really sort of, you know, I feel like right now we're having a moment where like a lot of people and a lot of white people are realize it's like Santa Claus doesn't exist. Like their their myths are all getting busted, and that's so uncomfortable. And, re and remember, like when you found out as a kid and you cried. Yeah. Like I think that that's what's yeah. happening on like such a level that people like people are just really upset and defensive and like don't yeah. want to yeah. deal, right? So I get that, and yeah, I mean, and that's true that like it it is harder sometimes, um, and. And, and we have to, we have to be, but, but the point is then like, I don't understand why people feel like they have to do everything, like hire somebody right. out to help. Right. Like I also sort of say that like my job is sort of like being a personal trainer. Like I can tell you to do things, but I can't do the squats for you. 
<laughs> like you're still gonna have to do work even if yeah. you hire me like i'm yeah, not yeah. doing squats for you like i'm yeah. just not right so you know hiring somebody doesn't mean that you're not going to have to work hard and do things yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean that you're not you don't have skin in the game it means you're getting professional support for this new thing that you have not learned how to do yet well and that's why i think the book in 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 your organization is so important be, for that exact reason like as i when i whenever i sit in these groups and people are like what should we do and i'm like i'm looking at a bunch of white people like <laughs> i mean you know it's good that we're having that conversation but like yeah like there's some issues here first of all about who's even having this conversation and like you said like i i think and you know this better than me so maybe i'm wrong but you know like I said, nobody thinks they're the villain. Like all these people, all me, all, yeah. all of us, like we think we're doing good, but really there's a, there, there is work that needs to be done to do good. You don't just get to decide to try to be good and have that make you be good. So, well, and here's the thing. I would also take it out of villain and heroes. Sure. I think sure. that's a big problem too. Like <laughs> you're not a villain yeah. if you've done this wrong. Like even Brian Stevenson, one of the best thing that he says is everybody is more than the worst thing that they've ever done. hundred percent. Right? So like, stop even having the conversation about whether you are a good or bad human being. <laughs> yeah. And let's have the conversation about whether this idea or yeah. this policy is helpful or hurtful. Yeah. Like take it out. Like everybody needs to get their egos out. Like <laughs> check your ego at the door and we're talking about policies and what's working and what's not working. Right. And, and you have to, and this is where also people need to be on a detached from their own ideas, right? Yeah. Like as a, and this is where I think creative individuals can help a lot because really, really prolific creative people treat their ideas like they're disposable. Yeah. Right. They are. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I don't know where this came from and yeah. it's not mine. And here it is. And if you don't yeah. like it, fine, there's going to be 10 other that'll come through my mind right. in the next hour. Right. So if we can get that sort of distance, then we have some room. Yeah. Right. Then then we can make some progress if everybody stopped thinking that this is like it is not my role to judge you as to whether you are a good or a bad human right. being. Like, that, I'm sure you're a good human being for showing that, up. That's my <laughs> failing as a storyteller. Like everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's this or that. But like, that's 100 percent what you said is right. Like it's um, I think one of the most important things that I because I have I've run some black organizations in my life, which is a whole different story. And like. I mean, I tell people all the time when they ask about it, I'm like, the, the, the biggest thing I can do is go in and when somebody says I've done something wrong, go, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me, I had like, how did that, what happened? And like, how can I do better? And like, and, and like, let's clean up, let's clean up the mess. Yeah. Like, that's like, all you, if you just clean up your messes, yeah. you, you like, you are like totally redeemable and people will forgive you a hundred times over. That's, I mean, I, that's sort of the point. And I think that the fear that exists in, you know, uh, particularly in the sort of white structures of what am I going to lose? I'm going to not have this. I'm not going to have that. It's like, man, it, that is a, that assumes that like life is a pie and there's so many, so many pieces. Yeah. And instead of like, it's like sunlight, like, look, there's enough for everybody and somebody yeah. else getting some sun doesn't yeah. mean you get less sun. Yeah. Right. And so if you begin to think of it that way, like you're, yeah, everybody fucking makes mistakes. Everybody. And you're gonna, if you're a white yeah. person and haven't had to think about this stuff or whatever, yeah. and you haven't had to think about things, you are going to step in manure regularly. Like that's yeah. just, you can't really get past that. How do you culturally like it, it organizationally? I mean, how do you like, is that part of what you guys work on is like, how do you make, recovery or mistakes or like how, like how do you build that yeah. into the thing that you're doing so people yeah. feel empowered to mess up 
Yeah, I've actually started advising that I think we should start all of our trainings with um, a workshop on how to apologize. Because <laughs> it's kind of like how gymnasts first learn how to fall yeah. correctly, so you don't break any bones. You're like, okay, if we're going to change things up, we're probably going to step on some toes, we're probably going to like fall down. So how do we fall in a way that doesn't lead to broken bones or a broken system? Yeah. Right. And so like just learning how to apologize, like what a good apology is. It's not, I am sorry for how you feel. It's I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah. And let me clean it up. Yeah. You know, it, systemically, it just like the, I guess these are the things that I think about Like they're not soft skills, right? Like that uh, apologizing and taking things that you've done and removing ego from that. Like when people say soft skills, I'm like, you don't, I mean, I've been in trauma therapy for five years. I'm like, you don't understand the actual depth of hard work you have to do to put yourself aside and go, oh, I've messed up. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Not, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so and how do it. you do that in a workshop? Because like I've had to do therapy, right? Like I've been, in, yeah. so how, like, how do you go into a corporation or a company or organization and go, okay, we're going to do some actual work to figure this stuff out. Yeah. I mean, it's important to tie it. Like we usually start with a leadership team and yeah. <laughs> it should be tied to a leadership development program. But often I also find that people are just lacking the words. If people just even have like a template of words, like they're able to be like, oh, that's how I say this because I don't know how to say this. Right. Like they idea. literally lack the language for how to do this work sometimes. And so um, I mean, and then there may be people who avoid it and then you, we get into like executive coaching and like, you know, that sort of stuff. But often I find that people are willing to change, but, they, but they need it like operationalized. Yeah. Like, don't, don't talk to me about concepts. Give me, and I have found this helpful because I have not always been the most, um, politically astute person or like the most <laughs> diplomatic. And if somebody gives me like language, I was like, great. Like I can follow that and I can say it authentically in my own way. And that really helps. So I think the more sort of like guardrails that we can give people, mm -hmm. um, the easier it becomes and the more people are willing to engage. And I'm guessing that it helps people who may not, I'm going to use this word and it's not going to be right, but it's from my therapy, like to have the empathy to understand like the words coming out of your mouth may land in different ways. You have to, and you won't always know how it's going to be taken by somebody else. That's basic communication theory. Once it leaves mm -hmm. your mouth, it's not yours anymore. And so I'm guessing templates and things like that allow people to go, oh, this word lands this way for other people. And, and you can think it's not, a, it's you're thinking about other people when you speak instead of yeah. what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the big, I mean, that's a big communications part, right? Like who's your audience, right? Um, that how does this land on your audience? And that, yeah. and, and that's what I mean by cleaning up your mess. Yeah, yeah. Like there's like what we intended to do and then there's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to sort of be willing to be like, all right, like I, that was a hit, swing and a miss, yeah. you know, that and not happened. tell people don't be so sensitive. Like, why are you sensitive? Like, I apologize. Like, well, that's everything about that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, what's in it? Hannah Gatsby in her, yeah. in her uh, co uh, comedy special, she has a line about when people say that somebody's too sensitive. She's like, that's like a fart complaining about a nose. <laughs> like <laughs> that. Like you're saying, like, I'm good at my job if I can detect that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's my function. So you can't complain about that. Right. <laughs> so th I could talk to you for hours about this topic because it's, I think it's one of the most, 
not only for organizations, and I've said this on the show, like I just think for the country, understanding this stuff and figuring out how to actually, because we're either going to stand apart or we have to start figuring out how to talk, how to see, yeah. not tolerate, but embrace, right? Yeah. Like I hate tolerate. Yeah. That's yeah. like that you tolerate pain. You don't tolerate mm -hmm. people, right? Yeah. And I think you setting down and, and trying to operationalize these things and giving people paths to like understand, not conceptually, but practically how things work is like, I just, I feel like it's the most important work going on in this country right now, because I feel like that's the, I don't, not the solution to the problems, but like the solutions don't come without this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate you coming on here. It is a little bit longer than we normally do, but you are just fascinating. And uh, uh, <laughs> the book comes out on the 7th, correct? Yep. September 7th. Um, and it's available everywhere. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I am I am going to dig into this thing because it's like I said, not only just for the research we do, but like this topic, I think is fascinating. So thank you for coming on and spending some time with me. It was my pleasure, Brad. I'd be happy to come back anytime. You are fun to talk to. <laughs> I will take you up on that. Well, there you have it. That was Minel Bopaya and her book is Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. Um, she is fantastic. We have been talking since I've done this interview, uh, been introducing her around because uh, she just is one of the most interesting people. And she's writing about a topic that is not only near and dear to my heart, but is super important. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you will go out and buy her book and follow all of the things that she's doing at Brevity and Wit, which is her company. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard and saw on the show today, do us those two favors. First, tell your friends about us. And second, leave us a review, particularly if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not, you can head over to our Facebook page and you can leave us a review there. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all of the other shows on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With Podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McAleer. Don't forget these video podcasts come out about every Monday and Friday. You can always find them on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can catch them at thewritersjam.com, or you can listen to the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, the jam is out every Wednesday, so make sure you are subscribed and don't miss anything that we're doing here. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at the Writers Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.